Okay, so resolutions for 2017. Let's see, page 25, 26, here we go. All right, uh, we're looking at deliver some sweet content to the Angular community and help as many people as possible. Sounds good. Let's uh, kick this bad boy off and get started here. Welcome to season three, uh, episode one of Angular Air. How's it going? We've got another TIL show you for you today. We're gonna have a bunch of tips, tricks, all kinds of different stuff that our panelists will be showing. So let's say hey to our panelists uh, and we'll get them on record here for maybe one of their resolutions for 2017. So starting with Austin McDaniel. Austin, how's it going? Hey guys, how's it going? I don't think I made any resolutions. Perfect. Maybe I'll write more tests. <laughs> Maybe I'll write more tests at work, which means write a test. <laughs> all right, that, that should be doable, I would say. You got all year to do it. Uh, Mike Brocky, how's it going? Happy New Year. Um, resolutions, I have two. Uh, one, I am stopping writing Austin's tests. I'm no longer to write tests for Austin. Perfect. And the other one is that I'm going to try and test out the battery on my Fitbit and try and put it to uh, good use this year. Cool. All right, Victor Mejia, how's it going? What is up, guys? Happy New Year. Resolutions. Um, teach Austin how to write tests. <laughs> Man, I sense a thing going on here. Did you uh, prepare this ahead of time? Did you know that like what Austin's resolution was going to be? And then you're like, okay, we're going to plan our 2017 around Austin. Yeah, no. I didn't um, even know what my resolution was going to be. <laughs> I don't. I don't have any resolutions. I, I, I guess at, at the start of the every new year, I do. I do make goals of of what I want to want to learn. You know, what I want to dive into. So definitely more more angular two will be this year. So. All right. Perfect. Well, we're going to have a bunch of content going out, so you should be able to learn that from our uh, show. So, And then we have uh, Alyssa Neichel. How's it going? You have plenty of time to prepare here, so think about your resolution. Hey, yeah. So you can hear me, right? We're all good on audio? Yeah. Awesome. So yeah, um, weight loss, definitely want to lose like 20 pounds. That'd be epic. And I have conference goals. I've already made it to my first, like been accepted at my first international conference. And then I was accepted at NG Cruise, but I have some other big ones like NG Comp that I haven't been accepted at yet. Um, so yeah, I guess conference and health goals. Awesome. Awesome. Well, looking forward to all that stuff, accomplishing that stuff. Okay. So today, uh, Austin and Mike and Victor are going to show us some stuff. So why don't we just get right to it? Uh, Austin, you ready? Let's go. All right. I'm going to put you in charge here. Uh -oh, your stuff. Here we go. All right. You're all set. Showtime. OK. Well, before I show some code, um, I've got three different things I'm going to show. Um, uh, I'm going to show some animation stuff. Everyone loves that. Uh, a new feature in Angular 2.4, and um, some Rx slash event emitter type thing that I thought was cool. Um, so with that said, let's jump in. So, okay. So one thing that um, 
last time on uh, on the episode about this stuff that we're talking about, I talked a lot about host bindings, and you can do a lot of really cool things with them, right? Uh, I talked about how you can you know bind inputs straight to your host component, how you can um, you know use uh, prefixes like px to kind of bind uh, pixels and not have to you know put that on the end of your numbers and things like that. But one thing I didn't mention was you and I didn't actually know this. You can actually use host bindings for animation triggers. This is super helpful if you need to do some sort of animation on the host input or host element based on an input. So here I've got. Um, can you guys see my screen? Okay. No, the font's really small. If you could blow that thing up, yeah. What everyone says. A <laughs> little more. How about now? I think that'll work. Um, although I lost my button. We're gonna have to go with this one. Okay. All right. So I've got this uh, component called Fader Component. Super clever name, I know. Um, and then I use it in my application component. So I've actually got a button, and when the user clicks the button, I'm going to set the visibility uh, to shown. And that's my little button right here. It says show name. And then my fader component, I just say my fader, and I say visibility equals visibility. And by default, down here, it's hidden. So down here, up here in my fader component, I actually have an input called the visibility. And then I use the host binding decorator to bind the visibility trigger to that input. And then up here in animations, I simply say I've got a visibility change trigger. And when the state is shown, I want to set the opacity, opacity. When it's hidden, I want to set it to none. And I want to have you know any transition that happens, right? So anything to anything, I want to animate it for five seconds. Super, super cool. Now I can click show name, and you can see it kind of animated in real briefly there. So this is really, um, you know, I see a lot of examples on the internet of people using um, animations and, and all this type of stuff, but I don't see anyone really using the host binding on an animation, uh, you know, component on its host there. So I thought that was pretty cool. It's something that I found when I was trying to animate some cool stuff and uh, wanted to share. Do you, do you know if you can put multiple there? Can you put multiple somewhere else? Uh, no, like, can you do multiple, like, instead of just visibility changed, if I wanted to do, like, color change too or something, like, can you put multiple there or not really? Yeah, I'm sure you can with, like, the, you know, inside the trigger, you can, you know, define all the different types of states. So I could change it. Let's not get crazy here, but we'll do a little bit of live coding. So, um... So I'll have a shown state here, and then when the state change or when the state shown state's triggered, not only will I set the opacity, but I also set the color. Let's see if this works. Oh yes! <laughs> you sound so like way too surprised for that. Like it worked. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this uh, the host binding stuff, the stuff that you showed the last episode uh, that we did this and this stuff is really cool. It's I think you get addicted to what you can do with host binding, right? Once you start discovering this stuff, and you're like, okay, now I can host bind this and this. Well, I can host bind this animation trigger, and it's it's I don't know, it's pretty cool. Ah, I just did some more live coding. 
so good. <laughs> I should have said Panda, not Austin. Um, hey, so you're you're double decorating this visibility prop property, right? That is true, and you can do that. That that's something that not a lot of people. I well, maybe they know, but I haven't seen very many people do that. You can do that with everything. I can make it. Um, Post binding um, style dot class dot something like that. You, I'm not coming up with a good example, but I mean, you can add as many host binding and inputs. I mean, it's just simple decorator, right? It's just compounding on top of each other. Um, I'm not sure about order, if that matters, or anything like that. Um, but I know it works, and I've done it lots of different places. Uh, do you guys think that it's worthy for people to kind of dive in and, and look at the source code for how decorators work and stuff to get a better understanding of this? And like for us, we dove into creating some custom ones and really understanding what they're doing. And, and I think it makes clarity on the things that you can do and the possibilities that you can do and how you're pulling this off. Um, do you think it's worthwhile for that or should people just kind of you know, say, okay, well, it's kind of this decorator magic and it's good enough that we know that? No, I think everyone should jump in because once you kind of jump in and you start looking at it, you can do some really cool stuff. So I've actually got, I'm going a little more ad hoc here. Um, so I've actually got a debounce decorator and this isn't tied to Angular at all. This is just a simple decorator here. and I can say basically like the bounce and then um, I basically just give it a, uh, well, actually this is the, this is the actual function, right? So if I was going to call it normally, this is how I'd call it. I'd call it the bounce, give it a function, a weight, and if it's immediate. But then I also describe this decorator down here. So I call it debounceable and I say the duration and immediate. And now I can return this inner decorator. I've got my target, my key, and my descriptor here. And now when someone tries to call a git on this, I'm actually just invoking that debounce function right there. So it's not only just with Angular stuff, a lot of, I think it's gotten really popular in the JavaScript community since Angular peeps have been starting using it, but you can do a lot of really cool stuff with it. So I, I definitely recommend people checking it out. Yeah, and I think the, I totally agree that the easiest way to understand exactly what's going on is to write a few. Um, and just realize that there's different types of decorators, whether or not you're applying it to a class or a function or a property, um, the signatures of those uh, different decorators are a little bit different. Yeah, static and instance is, um, I think, what I call them at least, the different types. I went through and I, um, when I first was playing with them, what I did is I also created snippets to be able to create them uh, quickly as well to be able to just uh, be able to recall those. I think to go back to like the original question though, I don't think it's necessary to go and like understand exactly what's happening behind the scenes. And I think sometimes that can be really daunting to people who are just learning parts of this or all of it um, to uh, be overwhelmed by the need to understand everything. And I think really, if you can just get into it in any way, that's better than, oh, I don't understand how a decorator is working behind the scenes. Like, that's fine. And I don't think that everyone is, um, I don't think everyone's brain is wired, honestly, to go through source code. And I think that's okay. I think there are good developers that are in both fields. So, true that. True that. <laughs>
Um, well, I think that. that's super awesome. And uh, it is important to know that if you're like a Java kitty or something like that, that these are a little different than some of those are. Same kind of concepts, but they have a little bit different of like side effects and things that you can do with them. So um, if you think you're a uh, hotshot Java guy and you're getting into JavaScript and Angular and you uh, are like, oh, this is just like the same thing, I, you should check out the little differences there. Um, because I kind of, I even fell, you know, short when I started thinking about them with, uh, you know, some .NET C Sharp background myself. Cool. And so this, on this uh, example you got here, just to be clear, we've got uh, the Angular animation stuff going on here. Uh, That's correct. And this is a domain-specific language kind of API for using the Angular animation, right? And that's why we got the at visibility change in terms of your text string that you got there for host binding. Yeah, and in terms of like decorators, this is just an argument to a function, right? You can actually do this, let's not get too crazy here. You can actually do this in the host binding stuff too. I don't know if this will work. with the previous input. Oh, no. Sad day. Or maybe it's this. <sighs> OK, I loved that. Yay. <laughs> I don't know. I Anytime really you show more than one way of doing something, I'm like, <laughs> I hadn't prepared for that, so I'm a little excited that I was actually able to pull it off. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Um, so something new that landed in 2.4, and um, I think, well, what are you guys saying? <laughs> Distracted me. Um, something new that landed in Angular 2.4 is component inheritance. And for most, it's not really that Great. It's not really that necessary. Maybe you thought you could do it before, and it kind of worked before, but it didn't really work before. Um, but if you're getting a little, you know, you're starting to build some, you know, pretty complex components, and you don't want to copy and paste like logic that's very, 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 very similar all over the place um, in Angular 2.4 against a lot of negative feedback. They actually introduced it, and I'm super happy about it because I was able to remove a lot of code. Um, that's not the one. So here I've got <clears throat> this setup. I've got two different components. I've got my base component, which actually has a, uh, it's called my base. And I've got a template that says, am I the base component? And I say, is this the base? And here I've got an input and it says, you know, it's Boolean. It says it's the base. And then I've got another component that I should have called inherited component spell. Um, and this says, I'm definitely not the base. And <laughs> uh, it actually extends from the base using base component. And um, if you don't even have to have TypeScript to do this extending, this is in ES 2015. Um, so if you're wondering about that. Um, and it doesn't have any inputs, actually. 
And then what I do is I call it um, here in my, oh, I forgot to mention that this has a uh, class member variable uh, initializer of true for is base. And then down here I say is, I, I define my base component and am I the base component and I say true. So that's my template up here. And then I define it again, my inherited component, and I say is the base. And I'm actually going to pass false here. And you remember, I actually didn't put the input. So it's actually inheriting this input from the base component, just like you would expect it to. And it works super awesome. Exciting. <laughs> so so that allows you to carry in the import uh, as a class property. What about the properties of the component decorator? Um, good question. So on the base, if you were to add a styles, let's, just, let's go back to styles. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. Hmm, my live coding is not, not panning out here, guys. Got it. Oh, maybe because this is not block. Yeah, you got to, yeah. Uh, let's do color. There we go. There we go. So obviously, to answer your question, no. Decorator metadata for the component is not passed on, um, which actually kind of makes sense if you kind of think about it, right? Because I'm explicitly decorating these differently. Um, <clears throat> now, now, hold on, because this is a style thing that's uh, probably scoped with the um, ID with the shim. So maybe you want to try something that's not style to see if it's inherited and passed on like what <laughs> yeah like, like setting the the view encapsulation to none right that would require me knowing how to type encapsulation. <laughs> <laughs> that's also an extra import you guys are lucky no we're good we're good we're good yeah no this yeah, is, yeah just, cool, just no no here we go <laughs> But you still have another demo, and we've got a few things to show, too. Is that what you wanted to see? Yeah. Oh, and then let's do styles. Get, is it an array? Yeah. yeah. Color yellow. Yeah, but I think this is just going to bleed. Actually, it won't, because they're not uh, children. Huh. Well, that's fun. Moving on. <laughs> so the last thing um, that I have to show is uh, event emitter teardown. So event emitters are one of my favorite things in Angular 2. Um, Pre-Angular 2, I had a little bit of React, and I actually ported the event emitter from Node.js and used that. So when I saw that uh, Angular 2 actually had that, 
out of the box, I was super excited. And event emitters actually inherit a little bit from RX, but they also provide an adapter to make it uh, work to the observable spec. I don't know what that means. That's just what the documentation says. <laughs> but one thing that always plagues us is leaky event emitters, you know, in every language, right? Like, I always bind stuff, I forget to unbind it. And when I first started messing with the event emitters, I was declaring like all these listeners all over my code and then manually calling unsubscribed on each one of them. And then through the power of open source, someone actually made a pull request to one of my projects and showed me that you can do this ad function. They have this ad function. So you end up with one event emitter and then you can kind of chain them together. And so what I've got here is I've got a base service and it has two different events in it. And this code doesn't really make sense, but I was trying to show something very easy. So please no one use this code like this. Um, but I've got two different uh, event emitters, button click and button click two. And in my app component, I say, uh, I inject that base service. And then in my buttons, I say but service.buttonclick.emit, right? And then in my constructor here, I say service button click subscribe and I say hello. And then I say, and then I tell that that that's a listener. And then I say this.listener.add. And this is that daisy chaining thing where you can do this add thing. Otherwise, you would have to like make it its own listener too, for example. Um, but I say add and I just subscribe to this event. So now when destroy runs, right, when I need to tear this component down, I can just say this.listener.unsubscribe once and not every time. Again, please, no one use this example. You should not do it like this, but you get the idea. I'm just letting this digest here, okay? Did you guys know this? Know about that? No, but I also have not been using any of the event emitters internally within a component. Yeah, it's I didn't. They're all, everything that I've been doing is emitting outside of itself. Gotcha, gotcha. I like this pattern. Um, this is like event-oriented architecture, like 101, where you have events and you're subscribing and that type of stuff. So I actually use this in services some where if I have a service that I need to inject into a bunch of different places and they all need to know about updates, um, it's kind of like that pub sub type model there where I can uh, actually emit different events, right? So if I have some type of action where something changed, I might want to emit an event um, to everyone that, you know, every component that might care about that. And I don't know if that's an anti-pattern, but it looks cool. <laughs> Cool. All right. Good stuff. Okay. Thanks, Austin. Um, are we ready, Victor? Are you ready? Sure. Let me get this set up here. Can you guys see my screen? Yes. Yep. By the way, everyone, since I had to do live coding, I'm going to make you guys do live coding. <laughs> uh, no, man. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, let me see. So the, the first uh, little tidbit that I have is on testing uh, 
components with services that have uh, async actions. So um, he's like so we a have this. He's like a. I'm sorry. You can like see the future. You knew that we were gonna. I was gonna say that I don't don't write tests. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I actually I love uh, testing codes. I'm a big advocate here at, at work for testing. So. Um, uh, we have a, a basic API service injecting the HTTP service, and uh, I'm not using, um, you know, the. Actually, actually, I don't need this here. I left that out. But I'm actually using the the uh, Fetch API, which uh, just getting some products and um, it's returning a, a promise here, right? And I'm using the API service on any on Um It's making a call to that. <clears throat> now, when testing this. Right. Um, I actually like to, um, you know, completely re replace what's to be tested with like a, a mock class. So um, here's what my mock class has the exact same, um, and return a promise that immediately resolves with an array of products. And I'm telling it to, you know, when uh, it's expecting API service, use actually my my mock API class. Um, so how do we, um, how, how would we actually go about in, in uh, testing this, right? So first thing I always like to do is um, make sure that uh, the calls to the, the API service are actually um, getting made, right? So we can spy on our component um, API service. Specific method is uh, products here. And since I'm replacing um, the the service, I actually wanted to make uh, a call, right? And then um, let me call the ng-on init function on my component, and then I can say expect this function have been called. That's a that's a pretty uh, boring test, right? And hopefully, live coding, yeah, this guy is is passing, right? Um, but how would he, how would we actually test that it's um, the product? So Angular has a, a few ways of of testing um, async, right? So one of the ways that I actually like doing is um, wrapping this using the Angular async function, which is from Angular core testing. And then this essentially just allows you to run your spec in, in what they call like the async zone, right? Um, so let's make a call here again, a component.ng on init. And <clears throat> what we could do is since um, we get a fixture to our um, our component, we could use uh, actually do is hey when you are stable or when you have you know finished doing your async actions, then you could do here expect uh, component products like to equal, and then in this case it was um, the mod products here. So that's one way of testing um, components with async actions. If you want more uh, like finer control, another cool way to do this is using uh, fake async. So when you use fake async, you have to use um, this tick function that they provide. And so in this case, you don't have to use any of this 
picture when stable um, things, and then it just allows you to write in more in a more uh, linear fashion. What's cool about this tick function is that um, if you're doing anything with like timers, you can actually you know advance time and pass it in like an integer of uh, you know time you want to advance. But um, some prefer others. Um, you know this one's pretty cool because it just it looks it's async code you know but you're testing it in more linear fashion. So, um, yeah. so that's uh, that's the first little tidbit that I wanted to share. You guys ready for the second one? Yeah, so then the and so the async stuff, that's all, I mean, that's all part of the test, like you said, part of the uh, Angular test um, module. Yep, yep, that's all in the Angular core testing, uh, you know, where the test bed and async fake, async, and tick function live, so. Cool. Yep. Um, cool, so uh, this second one, um, is so sometimes in my app, um, I want to make you know, start. I want to make you know multiple requests, but I want to know when all of them have finished, right? So here I'm using the Star Wars API. Um, I have two functions: uh, get vehicles and then get planets. And when the app component is you know created. I call this function get data, right? And then right now, um, as you can see, I'm making two separate calls. Um, and there's a slight delay, but for whatever reason, say there's a, a delay in one of the calls, right? And you just want to know when both of these are done. Um, so one way you could do, you know, introduce like state variables, you know, in case, in this case, you would have two variables and then say, you know, when this one is done and when this one is done, then that means that you know, both of these are done. But there's actually a cooperator um, uh, called fork join. And here you just pass in a list of um, observables. So in this case, will be uh, get vehicles and then planets. We do a subscribe. And our data instead now is going to be the array of these responses, right? So in this case, we can use um, some cool uh, array destructuring and then equals data. And we should get the exact same thing if my live coding didn't bomb. <laughs> so what am I doing wrong here? Oh, I forgot the arrow there. Cool. And so um, this won't be set un unless both of these uh, emit a value, right? So um, it's kind of a, akin to the promise but all, right? Where you pass in an array of promises. Um, essentially kind of the same thing there. But that's another handy operator that um, that I've been using lately. It's cool. So we got a couple things going on here, right? Maybe we can talk about each of these things. I mean, obviously we got this, uh, the fork join happening. And in this case where like use cases, right? Like you're going to have this component that's going to be this, 
you know, kind of decision-making component that has to load up multiple pieces of data that you maybe have in this, like in this case, this service that says it has a way to get vehicles to get planets that are their own isolated chunk of code, yet you really want this right. component to kind of pull it all together and, and display it, right? This right. Forkjoin is a great solution for that. Yep, yep. Yeah, you don't have to introduce, uh, you know, state variables and, uh, you know, mess kind of muddy up your code, so. Okay, and so then this is going to, um, uh, we also have this destructuring, right, going on line 50. Maybe we talk about mm -hmm. that a little bit because that's some other yeah. separate magic. Yeah, so essentially, uh, so data is an array, right? So I guess um, the other way that you do this is you know that the vehicle's data would be in the first one, and then the planets would be in the second one. Um, but with uh, E6 already structuring, um, you can do that in, in one line. So essentially, it'll, you know, uh, kind of destructure your array, spread it out over each of these uh, variables there. So we don't have to do that. And being that they're on the left side of the equals, it's an assignment. I'm sorry? Because it's on the left side of the equals in that oh, on right. it's assigning those yeah. values. Yeah, yep, yep. And, and we're able to leverage this because we're using TypeScript here, right? Right, yeah, this is not TypeScript specific, it's ES6. We're able to use it because we're using TypeScript. And to be clear, the fork join operator will emit after the inner observables have completed, correct? Correct. So well, for something ongoing, whether or not maybe you're getting values from user input rather than from the vehicles, maybe you're getting um, X and Y coordinates of a mouse move. You wouldn't want to use it there because that event will not um, exactly complete, at least not, or unless you explicitly did that. Right, right. Yeah, so maybe you can hop back over to the get vehicles and get planets methods so we can see what um, those are returning. Okay, so these are because these are using the HTTP service and with the get calls that are doing the the single um, subscribe and be done. Correct. Yeah, those, those observables will be complete. Like the complete method will be called on those two observables uh, once the HTTP call is completed. Uh, get to know. Right. Cool. So is that uh, in the fork join? Is that a case of the scenario of like what you'd want, right? Um, that you want those observables to be completed in order to use that. Like you're mentioning, Mike, in terms of you know yeah. if you're. You run this observable that's live that continues to read the values of mouse input or something, then it's not going to have the same effect. Right. Yeah. Essentially, since the if um, underneath get planets, if there was another array of this dot mouse moves or whatever it is, um, that unless you explicitly were to complete that observable, um, it will not actually call the or the subscribe method there wouldn't be called until that is actually completed. So in that case, you may want to get involved with other operators like uh, merge or concat right, right. or another uh, combining operator with the hand motions to combining. <laughs> cool. Cool. Um, and then jumping into the third one, this is a very simple one, but um, uh, I like to use it sometimes when there's a, a really good use case for it. Um, 
So I guess it's another way. So I like really like what Austin showed with the with the host binding. Um, but just a, a very simple thing is it, it, in our components, you can you actually have access to two cool services, which is the element ref and the render. So if you wanted a more uh, you know programmatic way of um, setting styles or or things like that, um, it's, it's a cool way to do to use both the render and the uh, element. So in this case, um, I'm selling the element style. Passing in the component element and setting the font size to um, a variable. Um, why, would use, why would I use the renderer to set this instead of just like you know go all cowboy and set it on the on the style itself of the native element? Well, one way you could set it on the template, right? I I think I don't know. To me, is is just preference sometimes because you could totally just do this on using um, the attribute findings here, right? Um, I mean, in programmatically, right? Like, use the render right. that element style. What uh, is there any particular reason that you would do that instead of just you know, el native style styles font size equal blah? Um, I, th I think the render has other, def uh, you know, more useful functions than just set element style. Um, I guess this is more more of a contrived example, right? But uh, it it does have some other, you know. I I think, um, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong. I think the doing it the other way isn't AOT able. I think you have to do it through the renderer the in order to do that. But I could be wrong there. Interesting. Yeah, I I I don't know. Honestly, so. I think we ended up having to do that recently um, to work with some third party code that we were using for like a scroll bar or something like that. And we had to utilize the, the render to get to the native element and do some stuff. I can't remember what it was though. So I guess it's not very helpful. <laughs> yeah. But I think maybe with some third party markup that we needed to use and access and, and do some stuff. Right. So yeah, just another way to, to do things. Lots of ways to do a lot of stuff, so. Cool. Cool. Yeah, that is it for me. Okay. Thanks, Victor. Uh, yeah. All right, uh, Mike. Y yeah. You uh, you got some stuff to show us? Uh, sure. All right, you're presenting. I'm presenting. All right. Nobody wants to look at me. So here, let's go and take a look at this. Everybody can see this. Is that good size of supplies? Is can't see anything. I see darkness. You don't see my text. Oh, okay, yeah. Oh, there we go. Okay. I think the renderer also does, uh, I think it's web services safe too. I think that's another reason. Sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry, not available. Um, anyway, clear my screen. So what I want to show is, uh, go figure, I want to show a few things with CLI. Um, so the first thing is um, a lot of people have wanted to use Yarn uh, instead of NPM as their NPM client. So I'm just going to create a new project. And we'll just call this ng air, uh, just because we need a few more ngs in here. And if you do a dash dash skip npm, it actually will not do any of your npm installs for you. Um, so it'll actually bypass uh, running the npm install to be able to pull everything from package.json. We, we want to do that way. So that you can use yarn if you uh, so choose, um, which has a much faster caching mechanism. And we're actually going to do this live, so hopefully it goes pretty well. What's yarn? Uh, yarn is an npm client 
uh, to be able to access um, and install NPM packages. Why would I use that over NPM? And I thought you needed NPM to use Yarn. Is that not true? It is not. I don't believe it is true. Okay. Uh, you can install Yarn with NPM, um, oh. but um, it provides a yarn.lock file, which will give you uh, specific versions of all the libraries in your repo, not just the parent level that you're including, but also their dependencies as well, uh, which will kind of give you like uh, some improved shrink wrappability, which is uh, make sure that you have the consistent version over and over, uh, no matter where you install. So for CI, if you run CI now or in a month, uh, you'll get the same um, packages from NPM to get that kind of consistency. So that will allow that, but there's also another flag here that um, is, I'm actually running a, a, a local version of master of the CLI. So I'm also gonna run another one that is skip commit. Um, by default, um, the Angular CLI will create an initial commit for you on the repo um, with the Angular CLI account. If you don't want that on your account, or if you want to make additional changes, like maybe commit in your lock file, your yarn.lock file, uh, you can skip the commit. So this actually runs really fast because it's not doing any of the installs. But if I cd into the ng-error directory, and if I do a uh, git status, uh, you can see I have a whole bunch of new files that have already been staged, but they haven't been committed. So if I did a git log, um, there are no uh, files here. I don't know if you guys can see that or not, but I'm gonna hide that. Oh, going back. So um, all I'm gonna do here is type yarn, uh, which I already have installed. And that's going to install all the dependencies within here for me. Um, and you can see it's a lot faster. Uh, it takes about 15, 20 ish seconds, is what I've been seeing. They have cool emojis too. It's worth it for just that. Absolutely. Oh, I also have my uh, touch bar too, so I can type emojis in my console. That's that's a great reason to. Isn't it though? So the, with my commit messages, I have smiley faces and hearts and everything. Oh my gosh, humble brag. I have this touch bar. Yeah, I know, right? So, it's good yeah. you're putting it to good use. Absolutely. <laughs> thumbs up. All right, so now um, I now have a new file in here. So if I do it, I, get, I have a shortcut here. So I now have my yarn.lock file. So then I can add that in here and make that as part of my commit. So I get add dot and get commit, and then I can do my initial commit. So that's just a quick walkthrough of how to do. Um, use yarn with the Angular CLI is by using the uh, the skip npm um, and then skip commit uh, commands there. So those are the two of the things that I wanted to show. Um, and while I have this up, um, so with the piece that Victor was showing, um, whenever you're injecting in something to a TypeScript class for dependency injection, I'm going to go to my component in here and say we wanted to inject in a service. So let's go ahead and generate a service, um, ng service, and we're going to call it a test service. And we're going to get a message here as we generate that service that says, hey, the service has been generated, which is great, but not provided. So it must be provided to be used. All right. So let's go ahead and let's remove. Um, Source app test service. And now we're back to where we were. So now if we wanted to go back and run that command, right here, if I want to say module, and you can specify the module where you want it to go, and I want it to, to go into my app.module, 
Uh, PSN, I think it's dot. Yep. Um, it will automatically put that in there for us. Ah, hey. Um, so if you're running the local version of the Angular CLI, you need to link your new project. Um, oh, I can't link. Did you just throw something? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, 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 Mike. Ah, uh, hey. You got see? Now I'm like, I got sorry, somebody had a question at the door. Um, I linked the wrong thing, so uh, so now I'm using the correct version, and I run this module flag now, and now it's telling me that it's updated my module file. So here you can actually now specify that we want to provide that test service, a horrible name that I gave it, but um, it now will provide that in there for you. And what that allows you to do is not only to provide uh, services now, but also for anything else. So if you're generating a component and it's in a feature folder, but maybe you want that to be in a shared module that's directories up, you can specify that directory as well, or that uh, module file, so that you have a little bit more granular control over um, where your generated items are declared or provided. Hey, so this is, is this an issue with uh, the fact that you're doing yarn here that you didn't get that link? Because doesn't npm when you npm install set up those links for you so you wouldn't have to do that step? And this was a result of you that is yarn that here. is only a result of the fact that I'm running a local version of master. Otherwise, it would be using the the version of Angular CLI that I have um, in package.json. So it's it's a it's a change that's coming because it. Before, when, when I would generate components, it, I, I would automatically insert to the ng module, right? Yes, or, it, it, the rule is that it would uh, go up its directory chain until it found um, an, or a module file and, or in a directory, and it was the only module file. Gotcha. Okay. <clears throat> so now you have a little bit finer control. And also, um, yeah, as of sure. right now, that's currently working off of the file name, so anything that ended in .module.ts. Uh, is what it looks inside of, but that is going to change to actually look for files that have ng model or use in the abstracts and texture. So what I wanted to show real quick, since we um, talked about uh, something being injected, is, and this is actually going to tie everything back together, so this is going to be a great ending point. At least I hope it is. Uh, so here, so I want to uh, use my test service here. So test SVC is a test service. Um, but if I wanted to use that here on this method of, I don't know, something happened. <laughs> so if I wanted to use that in here, right, if I want to use this dot test service uh, dot whatever, if I want to use that, it's not available. So I, uh, I've seen just about everybody put this as public. Uh, but with inheritance, uh, there's actually some finer grain control. You can make it protected and specify different scopes. So the protected means that it's available within this class and any classes that were to inherit from app component. Or if you wanted to even hide it from those, you can make it private. Uh, one thing that I, I didn't realize till recently is um, if you're doing the uh, private dependency injection and stuff like that, it doesn't work in AOT when you try to like reference those things in your template. It needs to be like public so that the static code analysis can actually like 
find it. I wonder if protected works as well, or if it has to be public. I would imagine it's probably would work the same, private and protected would work the same way because it's not available externally to the class based off of the scope rules. But those features that I was showing of skip commit and specifying the module when you're generated are just currently on master. They are not released to NPM. So if you were to try it right now, it would blow up. When are we thinking it will be? With our next release. They've already been merged into master. So whenever the next release goes out, it will be there. Cool. So eventually, <laughs> we'll go with that. And that is what I have. Okay, so I want to touch real quick on the thing that Austin brought up. So uh, you're saying AOT is doing the analysis now within the template code to identify um, the access modifiers on those properties and services and uh, the property stuff on your component class. You've seen that? Yeah. Are you asking me that question? Yeah, yeah. So just so, so we can clarify to people that like that's because before without if that's something new with the AOT analysis, right? Before, like right now, if you're not doing that, you would you could set that thing as protected or private, but the template would still have access to it because it's just JavaScript under the hood and they're all public, right? But you're Correct. saying AOT, when AOT is run and does its analysis, it will flag almost just like TypeScript's running its build and, and transpile and would tell you, hey, you're trying to use something that's protected. Yeah, I'm not sure about protected. I know it is for private, though. Um, I've got uh, some feedback from people on some of our projects that we built um, where they have logged bugs that it doesn't work because of it's, it's being private. So um, I, I do know that because I was such a little good programmer and made everything like scoped perfect and everything like that. And then I had to go and remove it all. It's like sad day. Um, but it does make sense. It's static code analysis. It's trying to you know, look through the template. That's like not when it compiles, that's not like there. And yeah, I mean, it makes sense. It, it's just uh, it's something that I actually didn't know about until recently. And I was at more asking Mike rather than <laughs> trying to tell people about it. <laughs> um, to be honest, I'm not, I'm not certain um, how that analysis needs to look in there. I mean, it makes sense if it needs to look into the class, the TypeScript would prevent it from gaining access if it's not public. I've seen that with a few other things. I've defined a few types that I wasn't exporting just because I was using it internally within a class of mine. Austin, you okay? You're kind of uh, staring at the screen. Um, so I've, I've had defined some class or some types or anything else that I'm using internally within a component. And I've actually had to export it uh, just for AOT purposes. Yeah. We should do a whole thing on AOT. Yeah, we should. Yeah, that, that would be great. Is there an expert in that? Do we know anyone that's an expert in that? <laughs> all right. If you're an expert out there, tweet us. Let us know. You want to come on the show and tell us all about AOT and bring the, bring the facts. I'll try to reach out to the team to see if we can get somebody from the team um, who's very familiar with AOT too. Well, I'll talk to us about it. Yeah, I think Minko would be awesome to talk about AOT too. I think. Look at you, Mister Big Shot, with your connections. 
I was actually going to go through you, Austin. No, that's why we got Mike here, dude. It's so he can he can fix the CLI stuff and then reach out and, and get a hold of people for us. And some other stuff, too. <laughs> cool. Yeah, like his, right. like his cool broccoli. <laughs> the only reason I feel like I'm around is because of my panda hat. <laughs> and somebody likes your bike in the background, so that that's a plus, too. I don't even know how I got here, so... <laughs> Well, it's just a party. All right, let's wrap this thing up. Um, anybody have any picks or anything? Um, Mike, I know you got something. I do, I do. Um, NG Cruise, I'm really excited for that. Um, getting information put together, going to take my wife as well. Um, looking forward to going and having a good time out on a cruise ship. Talking about Angular. I mean, drinks, sun, boat, Angular. It's going to be so epic. All you guys are going, right? Justin, Alyssa, Mike. Yeah, awesome. we, we kind of have to be there, the three of us, right? I mean, unless they want to put like a TV up on the stage and I just like put the mic close to the TV, that might work. I don't know. Not sure how the Wi-Fi is, but maybe. <laughs> maybe maybe we could do a show from the boat. Oh, we'll definitely, definitely need to do that for oh. sure. So we'll do an episode from the boat. But yeah, our presentations. Yeah, we could do a, like a Max Headroom presentation. I don't know. That's probably an old reference. People don't understand what that is. But the TV with just our heads. No, I don't know. But anyway, the three of us are presenting there. So yeah, definitely get on the boat. Uh, we're actually going to have a show here, uh, I think at the end of January, where um, Tracy and Joe uh, are going to come on the show and we're going to talk about all the stuff they had to do to prep for that and to how to host a conference on a cruise. So they're going to be joining us to talk about that here um, in a few weeks. Cool. NG cruise sign up for it. I don't know if they're still selling tickets or, or not. I think so. I think, so. I think so. I think early bird may have just expired or is about to. Uh, for sure. They're definitely still selling. Yeah. You can get on the boat, find a way on the boat. Get on the boat. <laughs> All right. Anybody else got anything? Uh, I got a pick. I, I just picked up this book. Um, it's from Pragmatic Programmers, Test Driving JavaScript Applications. So going to read that this month. So I'll report, see how it how it went, how I liked it. So Maybe we awesome. need to get a copy set to Austin. Yeah, I'll, I'll sign it and ship it to him. So. <laughs> Austin, Alyssa, you guys got anything? Yeah, I've got a pick. It's a book I'm also starting. I just got it mailed to me. It's, um, I don't know if you guys have ever done the event apart stuff. Uh, this is like a book apart. I'm like, I've always been a longtime Jeffrey Zeldman fan. So obviously I would know about his company, but this one's called Demystifying Public Speaking. And usually they're like about certain languages, like you can get an HTML one or a CSS one or a JavaScript one, but this one is specifically about public speaking. So I know it's going to be epic. They're really thin, um, which is like the entire point of their series is because they think a lot of books have a bunch of cruft and stuff that's not actually necessary. So they really try to get down to the point. So I'm excited. Should be a good read. But yeah, if you're into public speaking at all, I definitely suggest it without even reading it because I trust this company so much. So yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, awesome. I have just a quick one. Um, this uh, we were off for the holidays, and um, I was poking around, and I noticed that uh, Facebook has actually dropped 
Carmel, which is a VR browser, and they brought uh, React VR framework out. So um, I know that's not uh, Angular-based, but um, it's something really cool. Uh, I, I'm really big into the VR and AR stuff and, and with web technologies, and I'm really excited that those guys are embracing it a lot. And, um, just definitely check it out if you've got an Oculus or you know, you're started playing with web VR or anything like that. It's super cool. Cool. Well, I know you're totally into that VR stuff. Maybe you can become our Angular community champion on VR and Angular, so we can uh, talk about that. Actually, I was just um, working, uh, experimenting this weekend, and um, I'm trying to come up with a Angular library that will let you compose WebGL components using Angular syntax, but not actually render it. And I think I figured out the way um, Jeff Cross, I was actually tweeting to him and he, um, those guys put together like an in-memory renderer so you can actually override the renderer and make it actually not render anything, which is what you want. And then you can, um, then you don't have the payload hit of hitting the DOM to render nothing. And you can build composable UIs with it. I'll let you know how that goes. Uh, yeah, let us know. That sounds pretty sweet. Cool. All right, I only have one pick, and uh, I don't know if anybody who's into anime has seen that uh, Full Metal Alchemist is having a live-action movie being made in Japan, and so there's a teaser, teaser trailer out for that. Um, so it's one of my favorite anime series, that along with Ghost in the Shell, which is also getting live-action, and I'm a little nervous about both of them, but we'll see how they go. So. I forgot, I do have one pick. It's a personal plug. Um, I wrote a, uh, a sweet article this weekend on my story from migrating from Angular 1 to Angular 2, all the different approaches and what I ended up on and just all the gotchas that you need to check out. Um, I'll uh, post the link up for everyone if, you, if you're interested in that. Cool, sounds good. All right, well, uh, next week we're gonna be talking about discovering Angular content. Uh, we're gonna kind of cover and, and go over like the different ways uh, that we go and find stuff from Twitter to blog posts to like the blog posts that Austin just mentioned and all kinds of different stuff. So better ways and, and ways that we discover and track down content to follow on Angular. And then after that, we're gonna have a show on RxJS. Ben Lesh is gonna be joining us and uh, bunch of other content coming down the pipe. I've got some animation stuff, uh, all kinds of different stuff. So stay tuned. All right. Thanks, everybody. It was good. See you next week. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.